everybody. Welcome to the third episode of the Deep End Podcast with Dr. Danielle McGinnis and myself, Rick Alexander. I'm going to kick today's episode off with a quote by Martha Beck. She said, no matter how difficult and painful it may be, nothing sounds as good to the soul as the truth. So Danielle and I do this book club, and I think this will be, yeah, this will be our third book club that we've done. And First of all, I just want to say like how much of a, for those of you listening that have been part of these in the past, like how much of a pleasure it is to be able to engage in these like really deep conversations with people that are wrestling with, uh, in our, in our opinion, topics that really matter from all over the world. And so the first book we did was Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. And then we just did Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And book number three is going to be The Way of Integrity by Martha Beck. Some of you may have heard of her before. She's a life coach. She's been on Oprah, um, coached a lot of people that, quite honestly, I look up to. And that's how I found her in the first place was her coaching people, uh, creatives and authors that I followed. And I've started diving into this book and uh, thought today maybe what we could do is talk a little bit about the role of integrity in our lives. I'm excited. Let's dive in. I think, first of all, we should, because we're going to talk a little bit about what an integrity cleanse is, but I think first, like when we talk about integrity in the context that we're using it, oh, and I should say, if you're interested in signing up for this book club, you can pay whatever you want to attend, and we'll link it up in the show notes of this episode. And it starts uh, May 30th, and you don't have to have read any of the book by May 30th. We always kick off with kind of like a kind of grounding call to get everybody settled in the book club and see where everyone stands in in um, relationship to the book that we're doing so you don't have to have read anything by the 30th so totally and so when we talk about integrity what we're talking about or what martha beck is talking about isn't necessarily the way that we all think about integrity like i think we i, I tend to think about it as truth Living in alignment with who you're say who you say you're going to be, yeah, type of thing. Yeah, like when actions and words come into alignment, that tends to be what I think about when I think about integrity. But she's using it more in terms of integral as like whole. Yeah, and and I think that like when you're in pursuit of wholeness or you're striving for wholeness, that kind of superficial level of integrity of doing what you say you're going to do and following through is a byproduct of striving towards wholeness. So it's inclusive in the kind of massive realm of what integrity mm, means. Right. So it's interesting because I, when I am in full alignment, in full truth, I actually get the subjective sense of wholeness. And so that was something right away when I started the book that I noticed Yeah, I haven't read the book yet, Um, but everything that I'm studying from a depth psychological perspective comes from, you know, the, the problems and the struggles and the suffering that people experience come from this pursuit of wholeness. And so that's a lot of the work that I do in the world is helping people navigate that unknown space of from what they thought was in integrity with their lives and what 
being integrity with their lives actually means. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that from a place of me being whole because I think that's a lifelong journey. I don't think that perhaps we'll ever get there, but we're tapping into um, the experiences that make us feel as if we're moving closer to that. Yeah. So one thing that, that she talks about is and I thought what we could do in this episode is really dive into the role that integrity plays in our world today, in our lives today. One of the things that she recommends is what's called an integrity cleanse. And in short, this is the idea that you don't say or do anything that you don't fully believe in and align with. It's interesting because I was reading about it because I haven't read the book yet. And you know, the questions that were asked, one of the first questions is, where are you not feeling what you actually feel? And that's something that I was just talking to you about the other day of like something came up and I was just like shooting myself to death. Mm, I was like, I should feel this. I should feel differently instead of allowing myself to actually feel it all the way through. And it's like, I teach this stuff, I embody this stuff, I live this stuff out, but there's certain situations where you really confront the areas of where does your body want to express something and you're not allowing that to happen, like an mm. authentic expression of an, of a, an emotion, and where are you allow, not allowing that feeling to kind of run its course? And so I think that that starting there would be an interesting place to dissect. Where are you not feeling what you actually feel? Yeah. So as you're talking and saying this, it strikes me that one of the reasons that an integrity cleanse like this is so difficult for people is because their past conditioning is sort of at odds with their present experience. And so perhaps you've been, perhaps people have been taught like, well, like I wrote, this is a big one for me, for example, like when I went through a really big breakup, you know, the prevailing narrative is like, you just get over it. And like, so you're not supposed to like feel super down or whatever for a certain amount of time. And Mm -hmm. I think the rule that I heard one time was like, you get two weeks of mourning for every six months of dating. And so, but like I blew way past that and I was like, but I'm still sad. Right. And humans are so complex. (laughs) Right. And so it's just the idea that our, our conditioning and what we think we're, what's expected of us and what we think we have to do sometimes is just at odds with what's real for us in the moment. Man, it's so interesting as you say that, like I'm thinking about something I read yesterday for school and it was talking about our culture's propensity to kind of like not process what's actually happening. So this author was speaking about American exceptionalism, how we put on this per, this collective persona of being exceptional in America as this exceptional place to be. And the author was talking about after 9-11, you know, it was, now it was, okay, we will defend this country at all costs instead of allowing like processing of the grief and the rage and all of that stuff to happen. It was like, we're going to war. Oh, like straight offense. We're going to war. Mm. And it there was just so many quotes by President Bush that were just like so denying the shadow and just like projecting fear on people and, and making people afraid to actually feel 
what it feels like and just to hold up this persona of being exceptional Mm. and it's like where in your life are you doing that right you have this image of yourself that like I can't experience grief or rage or you know fear or things like that and so it threatens your own picture of yourself Yeah, and so it's just so interesting how these heartbreaking experiences or tragedies or, you know, just attacks on self, if we kind of compare that metaphorically to the cultural thing I was talking about, like where does that challenge your image of who you are? And I think that with the integrity cleanse, you have to go in and and be willing to that allow that part of you who you thought you were to kind of dissolve a little bit Mm. and and I think in that dissolution there is you create this level of discernment or discrimination where you learn to hold on to the parts of the best parts of you and allow the other parts to not completely die away and not be a part of you but to be integrated in a way that's like oh we're all I'm all of this I think there's an aspect of this too that's like trying to find a healthy or self-serving outlet for what you're feeling right like a way that I don't know something that's coming to mind for me like I have a significant amount of just blackout rage Mm -hmm. right so when I feel anger I guess for the longest time until I really started working with this and learning or trying to face the shadow for the longest time in my life there's this like I'd rather not go around it because mm-hmm. it I'm because it is that sort of blackout rage like I almost have fear of what I'm actually feeling mm-hmm. and so trying to find a way to express it that's not self-destructive for me was actually that that's a lot of process in itself well if we kind of come back and root ourselves in integrity coming from a place of wholeness and then we realize that how we learned to be in the world most likely was not coming from models of wholeness Mm, that's a point right like our parents and the people around us our culture included we're not learning how to be whole we're learning how to be to belong Mm-hmm. And so I find that from a deep nervous system level, like if someone is feeling angry during a session with me, I'm like, all right, let's be with that. Like we don't want to make that go away. And so you have to teach people it's safe to feel anger in your body without being a complete absolute um, embodiment of a monster. Mm-hmm. Like you can hold that you're angry and also ground yourself in the present moment. But that takes skill and that takes practice. And I think that takes someone mirroring to you that is maybe a little bit further along in the journey of wholeness, right? Because if you're completely in this mirror where someone else is uncomfortable with your integrity, it's going to constantly challenge your safety, Mm. I think. Yeah, right. It takes a bit of an awareness to like an objective objectivity to self because I think even to even if we went back a layer further it's like how do I know that I'm not feeling what I feel or or that what I'm feeling is not what I'm acting is not integral like watching yourself I just I would have anger like angry outbursts for like a couple of years before I really decided to get serious about like what it meant to like develop myself emotionally spiritually and 
you know? And so I, I would get like angry, maybe like road rage or something. Right. Mm -hmm. But then it would be like getting real with myself of like, okay, but you don't want that person to die. Right. You're not that angry at that person. And so it was just like starting to like really notice like what, what I was expressing and then being honest with myself that that wasn't really accurate of what I wanted. Well, I think that that comes down to understanding that emotions aren't trying to like break you apart. Hmm. You know, they're trying to inform you in some type of way. And whether that's comfortable or not depends on our relationship to the emotion itself. Sure. And so like if you're feeling this kind of pent up anger, what parts of your life need actually are being challenged where you're living out of integrity because anger is an emotion that informs you deeply of, of a place where an internal boundary of, of truth has been crossed. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's coming out in a symptomatic road rage, but what it's actually doing is forcing you to pay attention Mm -hmm. because it's like experiences of road rage. They're not just something that we're like, Oh, just, there it is again. And like nightmares are another good example. And when, when people come to me with bad dreams, it's like, okay, well, that's not trying to Scare destruct you. you in any way. Mm. It's trying to wake you up. And so if we look at all of these really deeply uncomfortable experiences that get our attention, like realize that's, that's actually the unconscious. It's the way of the unconscious is speaking to you to say, hey, pay attention there's something here that's not in alignment. Hmm. There's something here that's not in truth. Um, so, Yeah, and I can attest to that a little bit because I, just on that dream front, because I have, uh, people probably, all kinds of people probably understand what I'm saying when I say this, but like I've had like these reoccurring nightmares my entire life mm-hmm. and they're always with the same sort of demonic figure and whatever and when you and I started working more consciously on my dreams I started standing up for myself in my dreams and it started to dissipate the energy of whatever that was mm-hmm. and so yeah like facing it as if it's got something to show you about your own path toward wholeness is something that I would just recommend to anybody yeah, it's like, it's almost as if the, you know, I've said this before, I don't know if it, it's been in a conversation that we've had, but like the psyche as a self-regulating system, just as the body is a self-regulating system, right? So if there's like an infection in the body, you're going to know via you get sick or a fever and that, that fever lets you know like, hey, there's something in your system that mm-hmm. isn't supposed to be there. Right. And so the same thing with the psyche is like, well, if I've said before, like your psyche, there's a part of you that understands your true potential. And if you're not living up to that, you're going to get symptoms of like burnout at work or feeling really frustrated with your partner. And perhaps it's just because you're not stepping into your true potential. Mm. Right. And then, or if you're, overstepping your potential at the given moment your psyche is going to let you know by feeling exhausted or feeling anxious or like different symptoms so realizing that the feedback that you're getting in your everyday life is actually letting you know where you stand in terms of being in integrity with your present moment experience of life Mm. 
So I'm wondering how that, we don't have to unpack it here because it might go nowhere, but I'm wondering how that compares to negative emotion as a byproduct of psychiatric disposition, right? As a byproduct of personality, because neuroticism is a, it's a measurable trait of your personality, right? And so, so I'm wondering, like, can you, can you look at all negative emotion as walking you toward wholeness versus like what negative emotion is actually just part and parcel of your psyche i'm unsure if i completely understand your question but i will say that if you create a relationship with your emotions no matter what your personality there's no one right way to work with your emotions it's got to be based on your own personality Mm -hmm. right so i wouldn't tell someone to deal with anger in a one-size-fits-all way, right? Or someone to deal with fear in, in one specific way because the way that their personality was structured is based on their environmental experiences when they were growing up. And so they're from a scientific nervous system perspective, it's going to be wired differently. Mm. And so it's going to respond differently. Yeah, and so, yeah, so there is the need for the individual to... respond appropriately to how they're wired yeah and i think that brings up a really important point that she brings up at least in the article that i was read she said i've watched many people take integrity cleanses and they often leave um situations that don't match their truth and Mm. this can feel like the end of the world because it is the end of the illusory world where rule follows where rule following buys happiness so basically you know because you are an individual trying to make its way in a collective world this integrity cleanse often means that there is going to be challenge to your internal sense of safety and there is going to be fears that come up some examples that she used and and you can think of this and it's like man what would i do in that situation and does that match integrity for me but she said refusing to give a drug addicted loved one more money quitting um the secure horrible job stating your beliefs to bigots um such actions may feel like dropping atom bombs on your own safety Mm. you know where that particularly sucks is when your your views evolve so then being true is actually at the cost of the belonging that you've sought after your entire life Mm -hmm. like maybe you your entire life like I don't know oh here's a good one in my family I te- I tended to share the political views of my family for a very long time mm-hmm. and then once I began to wake up to what the view all entailed and what I actually thought about the world same thing with religious t- religious views right it makes you start you're starting to pull yourself from it and now now you look around and your entire world models like a, a less evolved version of you and so then that's a really painful situation for people that's where i think that um you know when you're evolving throughout this integrity cleanse you know you're not necessarily going to be choosing being agreeable or being content with other people's experiences but that there's nuance in that too because I think the more in integrity you are the more space you have for someone else to be 
have a different experience of integrity, mm. right? And it's like not necessarily our job to control someone else's integrity cleanse. You know, I think that in itself is an individual journey. I think we can advocate for truth and love as a society, but I think that part of the work that I think we're experiencing collectively now is we have to do our own work so we have enough space for people to figure it out. Mm, to give grace to people figuring it out. Right. Like, I think we're going to have to burn some of the shit down before we figure out, like, what actual truth and love mean um, verse, versus just freedom and happiness. Right. To me, that's a matter of realizing, like, taking a real look at how flawed your view is, too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, of course it's, you think it's pretty you're... arrogant to think that, like, you're the one with, in the correct space. <laughs> right. But I think for the first like 25 years of life, if you're me, 28 years of life, 30 years of life, maybe <laughs> there, there's uh, I don't know that that is what you think, you know, no, like, and, and you, like you're like, yeah, I've thought about it and this is what's true. You know, I mean, and, our morning walks sometimes end in an argument because there's a, a disconnect and I think I'm right and you think you're right. And it's like, but I have enough internal bandwidth to say like, now I probably didn't even a year ago to say like, okay, like who am I to say that he's wrong or his experience isn't real for him? Like, that's not fair. I mean, maybe I won't say it in the moment, but if if, we, if I really ask myself, like, what being in integrity for me means is, is, for me personally, it means creating enough space for someone else to be mm. figuring out their messy experience of being an individual. Right. And, like, if I don't let that happen, that feels terrible for me. Like, it makes me feel terrible that I make you feel terrible. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and that I do agree with you there. Like I think we have to get to this place where we can hold our own views loose enough to let other people have their own views. And like this is something that I this is something actually I wrestled with a lot this year as I was trying to discern religious beliefs. I was realizing that like, you know, it's no it's no secret that like there are certain religious factions which are going to try to convince you to come to their religious faction because they're the right one, right? Lots of people think they're the one right one. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is you realize because of the way that human perspective works is they're not arguing for truth. They're arguing for perspective. So if I'm trying to convince you of something, I think what I'm telling you in effect is like you have to believe and see it the way I see it. Because the way that finite consciousness works is it's, it's so limiting. Mm -hmm. So you don't have the luxury of seeing all of what's true about any particular situation. And so whenever you're trying to convince somebody else to believe what you believe, you're actually telling them, no, you need to stand where I'm standing. You actually need to see this view from the point I'm at, mm -hmm. right? Otherwise, your point of view might be different. And so... Me just having the recognition that that is how human consciousness works, that we don't, since we don't get access to ultimate truth, in effect, all we can ever do is argue for our own perspective. Mm -hmm. It made me realize how possible the chances of your perspective being flawed are, right? Mm -hmm. And if not flawed, just a, a, a very small, minute part of the whole. 
Yeah. Right? And so yeah. I think if you're someone that has a certain view that's different than what your parents have or different from what your friends have or different from whatever systems of belonging you've belonged to in the past, just having the recognition of like what might be true for you might not be true for them because you have a whole different subjective experience of the world. You felt different things. You've experienced different things. You, your psyche is different. I would love for you to talk about kind of what you told me about, I can't remember what exactly it was, but it was about like love. Like, well, the example that I'm trying to, I guess, say here is, you know, I had a family experience the other day where I was like kind of upset because in my opinion, like I thought that the person would love me enough to say like you over somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. But like, I'm like starting to like dip into like, I wouldn't say higher realms of love, but like, I don't know. I just know that if it was my child, <laughs> I would choose to love that individual more than anything, mm -hmm. you know? But like some people haven't experienced that type of love, so they don't know. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, I was trying what to make saying? a case for the fact that like when you work with a coach or work with somebody therapist, whatever, you want them to be able to hold a container that models for you an unconditional acceptance. Mm -hmm. That way, you have the space to explore and figure out what's even true for you, knowing that you're accepted no matter what. But most of us were raised, I will definitely say that I was raised this way to a degree, but most of us were raised in a way that that acceptance is withheld from you in order to get you to perform or get you to be the person that they're trying to raise you to be. And I don't even think they mean... Or make them comfortable. Or to make them comfortable. I don't think they even... Most people don't even mean to do that. It's just what we do, right? We do it with glances. We do it with the way that we talk to people. We do it in all of these different ways. It doesn't even have to be explicit. But the point is that once you begin to experience that sort of love, you then have the ability to go forth and give it to other people. Like but unconditional you, that acceptance. Unconditional acceptance, yeah. Like like mm -hmm. the true agape kind of love, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is interesting because this year I studied a lot of theologies and I wrote a lot of papers on doctrines and theologies. And the idea that what God is, right? God, this is the archetype of wholeness if we're talking about God. Mm -hmm. What God is, is love, right? And every religion understands God as love, mm -hmm. except for Buddhism, but they're, they are non-theistic and it's a wisdom path, right? So it's not the same way. Anyway, I say that because if you go to a lot of churches, if you go to, through a lot of religions, you'll find that they're trying to scare you into believing what they believe. And I've always, I've been trying to grapple with why is it that somebody would use fear, which is the antithesis of love. It's the complete opposite, right? The opposite of love isn't hate, it's fear. So I think how do people use fear to drive at what they're saying is love? Like, what, how is this happening? Because those two are not, they're, they're antithetical to each other. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, oh, it's because if I tell you God is love, all that means to you is as high of an expression of love as you've ever experienced. You have so it's no way of experience of love. 
yeah, you have no way of conceptualizing what that really means. You just know love to the degree to which you've known love. And so what we have now are a whole bunch of people projecting their version of love onto people, which tends to be very quid pro quo, very transactional love, very or fear-based love, like love me or else conditional love, mm-hmm. right? And and because of that, people are constantly projecting their their version of love as if it's the ultimate love. And that's a huge failure on the part of theologians, pastors, humans in general. And then if we bring it back to this conversation, why that's really important to me is because people have a really hard time being integrity with themselves because they're constantly trying to figure out how the hell to earn love from people and to earn love from the world around them. Yeah, and I think that that comes back to my experience that I was experiencing and saying like, actually, I'm really hurt by this. This sucks. I don't love you any less, but it sucks for me. And that's what it means to be an integrity for me is like, feeling the discomfort of how bad that sucked Mm -hmm. you know and then also not having that skew my perception of wholeness of love Mm. right i still deeply believe in the experience of love and wholeness and i want to move towards that but like when we're not mirrored back with that experience holding the truth of what that is. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's part of it. And I think that what you mentioned about, you know, I think it only comes through experience, whether it's with You a- do have to experience it. Because if, if we just talk about unconditional love on an intellectual or conceptual level, you don't have any idea what that actually is, right? Because it's a, it's a true freedom. It's the only true freedom, actually. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, you can't, you can't know it by talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. It, yeah, it really helped me realize that if love is the goal, then inner work is the price. Like, it is the requirement to get there because you, you just have to, like, you've got to find the people that can model it for you. You've got to, mm-hmm. like, face the things in yourself that keep you from giving it to other people. Mm-hmm. And that is, like, that's the process. But, yeah, and that's what like we have to do on a societal level too. I mean, we have to do it on an individual level, but we're never going to be able to do it in a society. We're going to keep this like weird bullshit version of quid pro quo love until enough individuals start to face those things in themselves. Yeah. And like, that's the thing that I keep bringing it back to this experience, but I think it's a good example of this integrity lens because everything, not everything, a lot of me today was just like, be resentful, don't contact them, like don't reach out. And it just like, I had to confront that and say like, oh, that's actually like a really hurt part of me. Mm. So I needed to be with that hurt part of me and say like, I know that you're hurting right now, but you're a part of this and I like I see that I feel that I want to be with that but also like you can't let that kind of unconscious element if it is unconscious skew your whole behavior and the way that you act in the world and so I think that that's why integration of the unconscious material is so incredibly important in this process yeah 
Yeah. I, it also strikes me as really important to make sure you're not acting from hurt places too. Right? Like, for example, let's say that you, when you make the decision to do something, you're for somebody else, right? Unconditionally just for that person. Mm-hmm. You're holding love up as the ideal there. You're holding love as the aim up. And you're saying, I'm going to act in love for this person. Mm-hmm. And so, like, then perhaps that person hurts you, right? It's important for you to understand that you don't have to act, you don't have to act toward them from the place that's hurt. Like, you can be with your pain, be with your hurt, and still make the decision to hold love up. Yeah been in that experience before an experience of betrayal and I think the only way I could do that is coming to grips with the ways in which I betrayed myself I didn't project it onto them like Mm. yeah what they did was shitty and it hurt but like what I did to myself Mm. was shitty and it hurt me too and then I had the space internally to say I I don't want to destroy this person you know, as, as bad as it sucks, like, but I think that's what pulling back projections are, right? If you project all of the power and onto somebody else and you don't internally take responsibility for what you've experienced, I think, I think a lot of this integrity cleanse is about radical responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about just taking it's not taking the other out of it because we're always in connection with other but it's taking the projection out of it and then really pulling inwards and saying like what do I feel right now what do I know right now how do I want to act right now what do I want to say right now what do I need to do right now yeah and acting from that place yeah because I realize that me saying what I just said about you acting in love for other people that isn't to be confused with you like manipulating uh, yeah or just being there no matter what love might ask you to leave integrity might mm-hmm. ask you to leave mm-hmm. and that is really important to recognize yeah yeah because you, you're not loving yourself when you're a doormat for someone else and actually you're not loving them either because you're kind of like allowing them to be something less than whole too yeah and it's interesting because i just feel like there's so much I was talking to a client about this the other day like there's just so much goodness in in being with the truth of your experience and when it hurts so bad the fact that you're actually feeling the truth I think feels better than denial and bitterness and like hatred like, even though it hurts really, really bad, like, there's something about being in truth with the hurt that, like, makes all of it worth it. Because, like, you you would only know that if you've been in those situations where you've denied, you've numbed, you've suppressed, you've betrayed. Like, you've done all the things not to feel, but, like, when you're actually in the truth of your experience in that present moment, it's like, oh, my God. There's almost, like, a gratitude to it where it's like, I'm so thankful that I just feel something. Right. You know, and I think that that's the byproduct of living in integrity is like there's something about it that makes you feel alive. Yes. It it like really catalyzes what it means to be human. 
Totally. And also, when you're thinking of what's an integrity for me, if you reverse engineer that too, then it seems like you can ask the question of, like, which direction feels the most alive to me? Which, mm-hmm. what is stepping in the direction of life here for me? And that is most likely the direction that's in integrity with your, with your soul. Yeah, and again, that's just not, you're not entitled to that being comfortable, right? Because like, if you were constantly met when you were younger with just this absolute deadness for your passions and your excitement, it's going to feel really weird right. when you're the one that's having to like validate your passions and your excitement. So I think that, yeah, you're not promised any type of comfort in that. But there is some type of internal spark that seems to be very evident in those places. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because in some ways she's kind of uh, just like renaming the work of Socrates and like a, every culture has a version of it. Mm-hmm. But Socrates defined the soul as the ethical part of one's own mind. And mm-hmm. so what he said is basically like, do whatever you want in this life, but the one thing you absolutely cannot do is betray the ethical part of your own mind. You cannot betray what you actually think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason we all do is because, to your point, it's comfortable. Like, it's mm-hmm. probably the most comfortable thing at the time. Um, but that internal division and dissonance is misery. And I think that's why Jung uh, talks about shadow work being... Um, a representation of like your own inner morality mm-hmm. you know and having to confront that your own inner inner like moral framework and like when you confront the shadow that's why I'm like so passionate about shadow work being not just three easy steps to like your personal development or expansion or highest self or whatever it's like no that shit's gonna like it's you're going to have to confront like very, very deep moral parts of yourself. Mm. And it's going to feel like very perhaps terrifying or repulsive or disgusting or just like, I don't know, things that you have to, like it's almost like you have to earn that, but what's given from the place of wholeness is grace in that process. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's interesting because, again, what strikes me as difficult there is if your morality is different than the morality that's surrounding you, that you've been raised with, right? This is particularly true for people that grow up in dogmatic religious households. It's like, you. yeah, you might have to come <laughs> to terms with the fact that your morality isn't theirs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, again, it's coming back to, like, how do you hold that nuanced space between you becoming more individual within a collective uh-huh. that is focused on belonging but I think it's it's your work it's your responsibility it's your personal responsibility to be able to navigate that space mm-hmm. you can't just say like it's all about me right and then just say screw the collective you know I think like young Jung said something I don't know where it was in his writing but it was something about like if you don't take all of the work that you've done in your individuation process, so your shadow work, and and use it to better the world, like, what are you doing? Right. You know, it's, it's actually the whole part of the journey is so that you can go gift 
all of all of your journey to the world in whatever way you individually come to life right which i'll say if you do nothing besides show up as a whole person in the community and not project shit onto other people like that's there's probably a lot of value in that so yeah and it's like is it is it you being an amazing manager so that you can hold space for all of your employees is it you being an amazing father or an amazing wife or an amazing partner or do you volunteer your time like there's so many different roles that that can look like and so I thought for me it was being an amazing clinician an amazing PT but I'm like oh actually that's not it at all Mm. like that was something that was assigned to me that was deeply out of integrity with what I actually was called to do right so and where this gets a little muddy as well, something we, you and I have talked about a bit, because I'm I'm currently like committing to this integrity cleanse, um, is that like there are parts of you that you have to sacrifice, right? And so you're on the one hand trying to find the parts of you that are worth standing on, even amidst the world disagreeing with you, and then at the same time trying to find the parts of you that have to be sacrificed. For your values. And so that's difficult because you could also, like, being overly selfish is an integrity cleanse. You're just an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, the whole process is nuanced. But I think that, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why sacrifice is a big part of the Christian tradition, right? Like, I think there's some deeply, um, important lessons from that psychologically (laughs) that we could take from that and i think it's a non-negotiable part into your evolution as a human but i think it's so nuanced because our egoic structures are so individual Mm -hmm. you know they're set up so differently that your sacrifice is going to look so different yeah, something I would love for listeners to do, whether you join the book club or not, is like ask yourself if I start an integrity cleanse today, how would that change my life? And you'll just start to highlight different areas where you're obviously out of integrity. Like for me, for example, I don't know if it'll change my podcast. Uh, I've been thinking about that too. I'm like, is it going to change? I mean, not that I ever set out to say anything deliberately untrue. Um, but to also say that like, I'm not thinking about the listener and stuff is right. You're always kind of like trying to figure out how do I fit this into the world? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I'm just full on in integrity with self, like, I don't know if it'll change that at all, but it is forcing me to go shop for other graduate programs because I realized like I had five essays left to do when I was like, all right, I'm going to do an integrity cleanse. And I was like, oh, I can't write any of them and get a good grade on them like i basically would have to choose between getting a good grade and choosing an integrity and unfortunately i chose getting a good grade like over and over and so just coming to terms with that has been pretty difficult and also i guess i'm hoping at some point liberating but the point being yeah ask yourself like what would change about my life if i came into an integrity now Man, at the end of this article, she says, continue your integrity cleanse and you'll begin to see how the cosmic vending machine really works. You'll find ways of thriving in the world as yourself, not as someone else's puppet. 
despite all the challenges that will feel good uh in fact it will feel amazing and there's there's something so true about this you know like I don't know was it two years ago or something a year and a half ago I was like actually two years ago today I graduated from physical therapy school and so after that I went through this period of just like complete deconstruction like I stepped away from my business that I was running I was like do I take boards do I not take boards and I remember I was telling you like walking on the beach in Virginia Beach and just feeling so freaking lost because I was like coming to grips with all of the the effort that I put in to be something that I'm not mm. and that undoing process is so painful but I was sitting in our house like I don't know last week or something and I just like couldn't even fathom the amount of gratitude that I felt that I was like oh my gosh all of that was for the greater good mm. Like, and I think if you really just ask your, yourself the question is like, am I aiming towards goodness? Not like the self-serving type of goodness. No, but like actual ultimate goodness. Like sacrificing your comfort in pursuit of that. And then two years getting to a place where you're like, like, of course, I feel like not a made it place, but it's a place of like, holy shit. Like, all of that, and I'm so grateful <coughs> that I'm here with you in our house, with our family. Like, there's so much amazing things that will unfold if you give yourself the opportunity to be in integrity. But you had to let a world that you built for die. Oh my gosh, it was so incredibly painful, like incredibly painful. But I think without the people that have been supportive of me in that process, like, who knows? I'm sure I could have like willed myself in some type of experience, but um, yeah, investing in in people and in groups and situations that I felt were going to lead me towards goodness. Yeah. It's so important. Cool. Well, thanks for that. Yeah.